Welcome to Not Your Daughter's Witchcraft, podcast hosted by me, Lilith Amberly. If you're exploring witchcraft for something beyond the aesthetic, if some social media platforms make you cringe and say, that's not me, if you're looking to build a practice that enhances your life, then you, my friend, are in the right place. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. Hey there, my friend. Welcome to this episode of Not Your Daughter's Witchcraft. So I hope that you are easing into spring. The days are getting longer. The sun is starting to shine. Things are looking up. I am in a much better place than I was a few weeks ago. We just launched the beta modules for Jumpstart Your Magical Practice. So if you were hoping to get in that beta group, I'm sorry, the doors have closed. However, we are working really hard. It's coming along nicely, and I expect to be able to do our launch in early to mid-spring. So Jumpstart Your Magical Practice is going to be a four-week course that helps you to build the foundation of a practice that you can use throughout your life. So very, very excited. I will keep you posted. Stay tuned. Now today I want to talk about something that is near and dear to many witches' hearts, and that is plant magic or herbal magic. So aside from being a witch and many other things in my mundane life, I'm also a household herbalist. And what I mean by that is I use herbs in my household as first-line treatment for simple illnesses, simple injuries, things that don't require medical intervention, and also for preventative health practices. I studied herbalism formally for two years and informally for about a decade or so. Now, I also use plants in my magic, which is what we're going to talk about later in this episode. I want to start by talking about working with plants and how to make sure that we're staying safe when we work with plants. And hopefully this doesn't come off as sounding too mom-ish, but I'm going to start there anyway. You know, many people associate witchcraft with poisonous plants and baneful magic. And I generally don't use those plants in my magic, but I am fascinated by them. So you might be wondering if we're not going to be talking about plants like henbane and belladonna today, why a quick lesson in safety? Well, that's because many plants, not just the ones that we typically think of as poisonous, can pose problems for some people. You need to know at least a little bit about the properties of the plant, even if you're just using it in your spellcraft, but especially if you're using it in or on your body. Later in this episode, I'm going to talk about clary sage. Now, clary sage is generally considered a safe herb, but I don't want you to take my word for that because there are going to be people on podcasts, on YouTube, writing blog posts or whatever, and quite frankly, they don't know what the hell they're talking about. So you need to be able to do your own research, and sometimes it's not always easy. You're going to find articles on websites that are going to potentially have the wrong information in them, and you need to be able to judge the credibility of that information. So let me give you an example of incorrect information in what appears to be a credible website. So I googled Clary Sage Safety, something that someone you know, else probably would do. And one of the hits that I got was from a website called Healthline. So health, like H-E-A-L-T-H, line, healthline.com. And it seems like a very credible source. And I read through a lot of the information and at first glance, you know, it looked credible. Everything looked legitimate. But then I paused because there was a section that described the uses and benefits of Clary Sage essential oil. And the second point they made was that it had antibacterial properties. And that really piqued my interest because I also have a background in healthcare. So what it said was that in one laboratory study, Clary Sage oil helped heal severe dermatological 
infections, so those are skin infections, caused by several strains of Staphylococcus bacteria. Or you hear someone say that they have a staph infection, that's what they're talking about, Staphylococcus. Now, one of the main concerns with staph infections today is that many of them are resistant to the normal antibiotics that we would have used in the past because of overuse and misuse of antibiotics. So in other words, taking antibiotics when you don't need them, not finishing the amount that was prescribed to you, or taking someone else's antibiotics. And all of these practices lead to strains of bacteria that are resistant to antibiotics like penicillin, meaning that the medicine that we used to use no longer works on them, and that's a big problem. So anyhow, that's what caught my eye about Clary Sage. They were saying that this was used to heal infections and mentioned that the study involved 61 people. They included a link to the actual study in the article. So I clicked on it because I just, I wanted to read more about it. And what I found is what they said that Clary Sage essential oil was used to heal the infections, heal the wounds on these 61 people. That's not what the study actually showed. Now, one indicator that something was off right away was that when I read the study, it said the study was done in vitro. So what, you know, what the heck does that mean? So generally, medical studies like this one are done in one of two ways. They're either in vitro or in vivo. So in vivo means that the study was conducted in a whole organism, you know, in other words, the person. So the patient is actually treated and is part of the study. In vitro means, for lack of better words, in the lab. So these 61 patients had a wound infection and they took a swab, imagine like a Q-tip, rubbed it against the patient's wound and then rubbed the swab against a Petri dish. So think back to microbiology or high school lab. Those were like those little round dishes that had like a solidified jelly-like substance on the bottom. So they took the swab, rubbed it against the material in the Petri dish, and then they let the Petri dish sit and grew out the bacteria. So when the bacteria then grew in the Petri dish, they applied the Clary Sage essential oil to that lab-grown bacteria in the Petri dish. And that bacteria was susceptible to Clary Sage. But the study did not say that it healed the wounds of any of those 61 people because they didn't try it on them. What the study showed us was that there's probably more research that needs to be done from a medical standpoint, and this could be very promising. So why am I telling you all this? I'm telling you because this is an example of how easy it is for the writer of an article to misinterpret something in a study and pass it on to you, the reader. So if I wasn't always questioning things, it would have been very easy for me to look at that first website, which looked pretty legitimate, take their word for it. You know, they have the link to the study there, but most people aren't going to click on the link and read the actual study. So here's what I usually do when I am researching a plant or an herb. See, I already have my own list of sources that I've judged to be credible, and then I'll go to at least three of them. So I will look for one of my sources to be an expert in herbalism. I'll look for one from a credible medical source, and then a third depending on what I find in the first two. Now, fair warning, when you go to a medical website, you're going to find them saying a lot that there's no research to support some. So for example, if XYZ herb is said to have an anti-anxiety property to it, they're very likely to say that there's nothing to support that. And that's generally because there's no studies done on it. And the reason that there's no studies done is because there's really not very much money in this, if any at all, compared to big pharmacies. So there's no incentive for people to 
study the effects of herbs on certain illnesses or certain conditions because there's not a lot of money to be made if that is an effective treatment where you're testing medications and things like that those are associated you know with with big money we hear about that all the time but what you'll also find is that those medical websites they'll they're the ones that are going to be quick to point out that if you say are on certain medications or you have certain medical conditions that this herb might interact with them and they can be contraindicated. And that's a really big deal. That's why you have to sift through that. I think a lot of people, when they're using herbs, they then will shy away from the medical type sources and you really need that balance. You know, even if you're using any kind of herbal supplement, even if it's safe for you, and then say you have a change in your medical condition, or you need to have surgery, or you're going to go under anesthesia, your physicians, like your surgeon, your anesthesiologist, those people need to know that. They need to know because if you're taking herbs, even if they, you know, we think of these as natural things, you know, they're coming from your garden, but if you're using herbs medicinally, your medical providers need to know. So I know I probably need to get off my soapbox right now because I can literally talk about this all day, but I do want, if you haven't used plants or herbs in the past to make sure you're doing it in a safe manner. Now I'll get back to the main topic for the episode and it's using plants in our magic. So how do I use plants in my magic? I may just have herbs on my altar as part of a ritual or an offering. I might use them to say dress a candle. So if I'm doing a candle spell, I'll generally use, first I'll use oil to dress the candle. So it might be a specific ritual oil, or you can use something as simple as coconut oil or olive oil. And then I will take the crushed herb, whatever herb I'm using for that spell, roll the candle in it and be able to incorporate the herb into my magic that way. I also use herbs during meditation and journey work. There's one herb in particular that I really like to use, and it's clary sage. And it's also one of the few essential oils that I use. I generally don't use essential oils a whole lot because it just takes so much gosh darn plant material to get essential oils. And I don't know that I ever fully appreciated it as much as I did when I visited a lavender farm once and saw them making the essential oils. And how much plant material actually goes into that. So I use essential oils very judiciously. And the other thing is, you know, I don't need to use them a lot because we have whole plants. If I'm using them in my herbal practice as opposed to my magical practice, I can make teas and tinctures and salves and all those other things that I really don't need to use the essential oils. One that I really do love though for meditation and journey work is clary sage. I just have a very tiny vial because all I do is pop the top off and smell the bottle. I don't even put it in a diffuser or anything like that. And I use it prior to journey work and this causes a noticeable difference for me. I noticed it most a few months ago because we moved and when we moved I had all my magical supplies if you will packed in I don't want to say packed in one box because they were packed in multiple boxes and all over the place. So we had, you know, boxes everywhere. And when I set up my altar, I couldn't find my little bottle of clary sage. So I started doing my journey work without it. And I kind of got used to doing it without it. So, you know, a couple, probably a month or two went by. And then something hit me as I was reading through my journal I noticed that I was really having trouble connecting during journey work compared to how easy it had been in the past. So I do a lot of work with ancestral healing and I've had some really phenomenal experience in the past doing that work. But it hit me, I'm like, this just isn't 
going as good as it, as it used to. The connection isn't as strong. And that's when I realized, you know what? I'm not using the Clary Sage anymore. I need to get myself some more and start using it again. And when I did, it made a huge difference. So let's talk about Clary Sage just a little bit. So do yourself a favor. If you don't know what it looks like, go ahead and just Google it. It's always nice to know what a plant looks like when we're talking about it. So Clary Sage is biennial. Annuals are plants that come up once and then they die. It's kind of once and done in most climates, in most, not all. Perennials are plants that live for many years. And well, a biennial is a plant that lives for two years. It lives through two seasons. So during their first year, they may not, they generally don't look like much at all. They'll stay close to the ground. They use the energy of the sun, but they're not using the energy of the sun like most plants do, especially during the summer. So imagine, say, a sunflower. That's using the energy of the sun to shoot up, you know, high to the sky, reach up toward the sun, but a biennial is different. They're using that first year, the energy of the sun, and they're drawing it down into their roots. And they're storing it there until year two. And that's when you actually get to see their magic because they shoot up the second year and they're that bigger, fuller plant. They're going to have their flowers. They have all those things and the properties and parts that we use magically or in our herbal practices. So it's such a nice example of, you know, that as above, so below. You have the upward energy and you have the downward energy that the plant really needs. Each plant is said to be under the influence of a planet. And I talk about that a little bit in episode five on planetary magic. When working with plants for magical purposes, one resource that I often go to is Nicholas Culpepper's Complete Herbal. And here's why. So Nicholas Culpepper was born in 1616. He studied at Cambridge and he became a physician, an astrologer, and an apothecary. He took his work very seriously and he didn't rely on those who came before him because he didn't trust their word. So here's what he wrote. These are his words. To find out the reason and operation of herbs and plants by the stars I went, and herein I could find but few authors, but those full of nonsense and contraindication as an egg is full of meat. This not being pleasing and less profitable to me, I consulted with my two brothers, Dr. Reason and Dr. Experience, and took a voyage to visit my mother, Nature by whose advice together with the help of Dr. Diligence, I at last obtained my desire and being warded by Dr. Honesty, a stranger in our days, to publish it to the world, and I have done it. So Culpepper believed that any ailments in the body were caused by the alignment of the stars and planets, and he believed that ailments could be cured by treatment that was generally either an opposing force of the heavenly body or in some cases the same force. And he said that Clary Sage was under the dominion of the moon. He recommended it for the treatment of many illnesses, including redness and what he called heat of the eyes and for poor eyesight. So what does that tell us about some magical uses for it? First, well, it's associated with the moon, so it might be used in meditation, in divination, in dream work, for prophecy and visions. It can help us with that second sight. So you can understand why this works so well with my journey work. In addition to, say, smelling the oil like I do, you might consider diluting it with another oil like some coconut oil and anointing that area of your third eye, so kind of right between your eyebrows. So I think one of the things and one of the best things that you can do is to have experiences and experimentation. Spend some time with the plants that you're going to be working with. Listen to what they're telling you. 
if you want to work with clary sage, try growing it. You know, you can start the seed from indoors and transfer it to the garden at the appropriate time for your region. It's native to northern Italy, southern France, and Switzerland, so it likes a dry, rocky type soil. You can try meditating while sitting next to the plant. Try meditating after smelling its essential oil. What works better for you? Try a few different herbs. Write them down. You know, write down your experiences so you can look back and compare them. That's how we begin to develop relationships with the plants for our magic. So this is just the start. I hope as we go through the seasons of this podcast that I will be able to bring to you many, many plants because I do love them. I love plant magic and I love herbalism. So this was just a taste of what's to come. I hope that you enjoyed the episode. Now, before you go, I want to make sure that we stay connected. So go ahead, join my VIP list. It's witchlifeacademy.lilithamberley.com forward slash resources. The link will be in the show notes. And I want you to join my VIP list because when you do, you're going to have access to all of my free resources, the ones that are there now and the ones that I publish in the future. You're also going to have access to any upcoming offers, programs, courses, etc. that are going to come out. So I don't want you to miss that. I want to make sure that we stay connected. Now, if you enjoyed this episode, please go ahead and give the show a rating. That's so important, especially for newer podcasts. I would really, really appreciate that. Until next time, I hope you have a most wonderful and magical day. <laughs>